we love you. God, we thank you that you love us, that you showed your love for us, that you didn't just love us but demonstrated it in the work of your son Jesus. God, as we gather here today, I ask that you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know you better leaving here than we knew you coming in here. Challenge us by your Holy Spirit. Convict us by your Holy Spirit. Encourage us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, so we may be who you've called us to be. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. I ask that you bless them and the reading of it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to celebrate a victory with you all real fast, if you don't mind. Um, before I get started in a word, <clears throat> today is a year from when I was in the hospital and the doc gave my wife some bad news that some of you may not know this, I, she was horrible, I was unconscious for five days, um, and God is faithful, Amen. And so, if you, if you don't know the story, just know that God is faithful. And where I could have not been here, he's blessed me to be here. And I pray that he continues to use me and us to his glory. Amen? Amen. All right. I love you, boo-boo. That's my wife over there. If you're visiting, she's a very beautiful brunettes there. Raise, raise your hand. There's other brunettes around there. I want to make sure they don't, <laughs> I don't get myself in trouble. All right. Guys, we're in Ephesians, all joking aside. Um, so <clears throat> starting in chapter three today, I'm going to ask that you continue and open up your Bible to chapter three. And I'm going to talk to you about Paul's stewardship. Specifically, Paul wants to talk to you about Paul's stewardship um, just whenever Shona, get your phone under control. <laughs> it's all right. You do you. We're used to it, Shona. It's all right. Um, so before we get into the reading, let me talk to you about where Paul has been, what he's been talking about. As you know, we're going through a verse-by-verse verse, kind of looking through the book of Ephesians. And in chapter 2, man, I, I love the book of Ephesians. But in chapter 2, he starts with who we were versus who we are. He talks about how we were dead in our trespasses, but because of the drawing of the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus Christ in us, we are no longer dead, but we are alive in Christ Jesus. And so that was two weeks ago. Last week, we began to discuss, <clears throat> out of 11 through 22, regarding remembering who we were. All of us were horrible. We were separated. We were, we were void of any life. The Bible says in verse 12, he says, remember that you were times separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's who we were. And we've been charged with remembering this because as we remember, we come to a place where we glorify God and grow a heart of thanksgiving in us. When I think of all the things I used to be, all the things I used to do, all the things even God through Christ Jesus forgave me of last month. I should remember these things, that he has not only forgiven my sin, but made me righteous in Christ Jesus. And I should have a heart overflowing with thanksgiving. This happens as we remember. And so he charges us, remember who you were, 
so that you'll know who you are, so that you'll keep in mind who you are, that you've been reconciled through Christ Jesus, who's the cornerstone, according to the teachings and the proper doctrines of the apostles and the prophets, who are the foundation, so that we might be built up as a body of believers um, as that physical temple of God. Amen? And so I, th I think that's a beautiful word picture, how God builds us, starting, ensuring that we're, we're square, we're exactly where we should be, we're able to be built upon because Christ Jesus is our cornerstone. And then sound teaching and doctrine actually keep us level and keep us squared away and make sure that everything fits together the way it should. And through relationship that we have with each other because of the work of Christ Jesus, we're able to be mortised and tended together in a way that this building will absolutely stand. But it's our responsibility to be unified as that building so that we truly and absolutely stand. All right? With all of that in mind, Paul picks up chapter 3, and he starts with this. He said, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles. He said, Listen, because of all of that, I'm here to tell you something. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. But I want you to think back about Paul's life up to this point. Paul was a successful minister. Paul had moved through the Ephesus. It's the reason why he's writing now to Ephesians. He's, he's moved through different regions, planted a bunch of home churches, done raised up leaders, made sure everybody was where they're supposed to be, developed those churches, encouraged them, constantly wrote to them, communicated with them. In some instances, even came back to ensure that they were okay. But at some point, he realized that he was going to have to go to Rome. And so here he stands, and, and in the scripture it tells us that he, he said, as a Roman citizen, I have a right to plead my case before Pilate or before, the, uh, before Caesar. Had he not done that, he'd have probably not ended up in Rome. He may very well have not likely ended up in Rome. But there he is, because he determined to make himself a prisoner. And it's from Rome that he wrote the book of Ephesians. He determined to make himself a prisoner for the sake of Christ, but why? The Bible says, for us. Man, I want you to think about that for a second. What he's saying, kind of wrapped up, is I'm faithful to steward what God gave me to suffer, if need be, so that you may have the information that I have, so that I may steward well that which is given me, and so that ultimately you can steward that same message. Paul put himself in a position for us as a bond slave of Christ, so that we would ultimately know what stewardship, true stewardship, looks like. What is stewardship? Stewardship, by definition, is one who has the authority to manage the resources of another. That's the, that's the definition of a steward. So Paul says, I've been given, and because I've been given, I've made myself a prisoner, and I've made myself a prisoner for you so that ultimately we may, together, I may bear fruit, the generations between he and us could bear fruit, and ultimately so that we could bear fruit. Because can I tell you, you're not a good steward of anything that you've been given if you're not fruitful. You have to be fruitful. Stewardship always ends in fruitfulness, proper stewardship anyway. 
when Jesus, where when Jesus, when God made Adam and Eve, what did he say? He said, multiply. He said, I'm going to give you dominion over the earth, which means he gave them stewardship over it. I want you to multiply it, to keep it, to take care of it, to make sure that everything goes as it should. There's an expectation of faithfulness. I need you to, or fruitfulness. I need you to get a hold of that because everything else falls on this idea as Paul begins to speak. In Matthew, Jesus tells a story about, in Matthew 25, 14 through 30, about the parable of the talents. He gives X number of talents to three different individuals. Some of them multiply them. Some of them double them. One guy buries it in the ground, and he says, listen, because you've been fruitful, I'm going to give this to you. Because you've been fruitful, I'm going to give this to you. But because you haven't been fruitful, you didn't at least even just put it in the bank to gather some interest. You're going to be punished. How do I know that fruitfulness is expected? Because lack of fruitfulness is punished. God expects us to take that which he gave us and multiply it to the people around us. Paul made himself a prisoner for our sake so that he could prove himself fruitful and so that we could ultimately be fruitful and so that everybody between us and him might be fruitful. We have to reproduce ourselves. Amen? Y'all, some of y'all look at me like I'm crazy. It's what I'm getting at, and I think it's what Paul's getting at. It's not what I think Paul's getting at. I'm pretty certain it's what Paul's getting at. Is God didn't save you, as you've heard me say a thousand times, to sit on your hands and not take anybody to heaven with you. At the end of your life, I want to ask you a question that I'm going to loop back to around at the end. Is what fruit do you have to offer God at the end of your life if it's not people that you've invited into relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing. Because the Bible says everything else is rusted. Everything else will be destroyed. Everything else will be burned away. The only thing that I have to offer God is those people that is my life and the people that I've brought to him through a proclamation of the gospel. That is fruitfulness. And it freaks me out, man, that I might miss somebody. It should freak us out that we might miss somebody. I've told you this story before. I'm, I'm excited. I'm certain because God is everything that the Bible says that he is. And, and I, I try the best I can to live a repentant lifestyle. I'm certain right now at this point, if I died, I'm going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But what freaks me out is that before I step off the stage, he's going to say, or before I step off in front of his, from in front of his throne, he's going to say, hey, whoa, 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 you're good to go. But... You see that line over there? Those guys are all going to hell. You see that guy third row from the back? I assigned him to you in August of 2022, gave you opportunity to speak into his life, and you didn't. Can you explain to me why he's not in this line? Now, I can't prove that in Scripture, but that's what freaks me out, and that's what keeps me up at night. And it should keep us all up at night. That's not a pastor's job. That's y'all's job. My job is to give you the tools necessary to equip you to ensure that you're the stewards that God's called us all to be. I'm an evangelist, but only as I'm not in this building. I'm a pastor. You're a congregant, but only as you're not in this building, in which case you're an evangelist. Our job is to steward based on the authority we have in the name of Jesus Christ to produce fruit. Amen?
man, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to bust my chest open so you can hear where I'm coming from. I haven't changed my song. I haven't changed my story. I've not changed my convictions about this in six and a half years. I'm not going to. If you think you're ever going to come into this place and not be challenged to step out of this place and tell somebody about Jesus, you need to go someplace else. Because I'm going to ultimately be answerable for your lack. All right. I'm going to start preaching in a minute. And so he says, he says, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles so that you might know. And then he says this in 3 verses 1 through 13. And I'm going to go ahead and start from the top. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is in other generations have been made to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Verse 6, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Isn't that a beautiful contradiction to verse 12 where we were separated previously and not having all of those things? But in verse 7 he says, of which I had made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the work of his power, to me the very least of all saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance to the eternal purpose which he carried into, out in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, because of all of that, I ask you not to lose heart in my tribulations on your behalf, because it's on our behalf that he's in prison, for they are your glory. Amen. All right, let's talk about what he's actually talking about. There's three points here that Paul is trying to express and in my mind through prayer and study that I think he's trying to say there's three things we need to be stewards of. There's three areas in which we need to produce fruit. The first one is a stewardship of God's grace. We need to steward God's grace. In 2 through 5 he reads, If indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation you were made known to me, the mystery as I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight in the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Paul begins by saying, the stewardship of grace was given to me. Grace. Let's talk about that. In order to steward grace well, we must know what grace is. And some of you are going to be all, oh, he's going to talk about grace again. He's going to give us the same message. It's the only message I have, y'all. 
Grace is the undeserved favor of God. The problem is that most of us haven't dug deeply in enough to know that grace isn't just the unmerited favor of God for salvation. Did you know everything that God has ever given you is unmerited favor? Everything. The fact that you had the physical ability to get out of bed this morning, the fact that you still have breath in your lungs, the fact that you have the ability to think, make a living, produce a family, produce anything, is a grace in your life. It's the reason why we've been called to remember. We get so comfortable with all the blessings that we have. Did you know we live in the top maybe 3% of prosperity in all of the world? The person that lives the lowest is in the top 10 per, in America is in the top 10% of prosperity in the world. You haven't lived until you've gone to India and saw a 6 by 6 metal shack one about this high off the ground with seven or eight people living in it, cooking outside, using the bathroom right next outside, right next to their shed, and then 150 or 200 sheds just like it piled on top of each other. Let me tell you, we forget the grace we've been given. We have to steward the grace that we've been given, proclaim the grace that we've been given, the unmerited favor that we've been given, that God, for whatever reason, has decided of his own volition to point his love at us and say, because I love you, I will meet you here. I will give you this. Because I love you, I'm going to give you the grace of taking this away from you. So it's not just the things that you possess that are a grace in your life. It's the things that have been pulled from you or a grace in your life. I told you at the beginning, I spent five days in a hospital, innovated, unconscious. It was horrible. I couldn't move my arms for like probably six months. I sat over here and worshiped because I couldn't move my shoulders like this. And I don't say that to say, look at what I was doing. I'm telling you, I recognize even as God took from me, he cut out stuff in me, pride in me that didn't serve him well and caused me to be more fruitful. And that's a grace in my life. Amen? We need to recognize that God has called us to steward grace. But what grace was extended to Paul? That's the question to ask. In verse 3, it says revelation, that he was extended revelation. So, 2 Corinthians 12, starting in 1, reads like this. Boasting is necessary, <laughs> though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know. God knows such a man was caught up in a third heaven. He's speaking of himself as third party for the sake of humility because he doesn't want to be boastful. And he says, and I know such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except in regard to my weakness. Why do I read this to you? Because Paul had revelation. 
God graced Paul with a revelation he couldn't speak of. And so I can't talk to you about that revelation because Paul wasn't able to talk about that revelation. But let me tell you what the revelation he did get. He got this revelation. He is the most prolific writer in the New Testament. He wrote a systematic theology book that we know as Romans that explains the human condition, where we were, who we are, what God did, why we are who we are, how to overcome the flesh, and ultimately declare our hope, all because God was willing to give him revelation. And let me tell you, you know what's special about Paul? Nothing. Paul was obedient. Paul was faithful to steward. Well, man, I wish God would talk to me. What would you do with the last thing God talked to you about? I need revelation. What are you still holding on to the last revelation he gave you? Who have you told that to? Paul was willing to talk about his revelation, and so he had grace there. When he gets revelation, he gives revelation, and through revelation produces fruit. Amen? That's so good. I, I ought to write that down. But he wasn't just given revelation. He was extended grace concerning the mystery of Christ in verse 4. I'm not going to go back and read it, but just if you want to while I'm talking, go back and read it. This is this mystery of Christ. Galatians 1, 11 and 12 says this, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Christ Jesus. Christ himself revealed himself to Paul in Acts chapter 9. If you don't know this story, Paul minding his own business. Now, that's not true. Paul wasn't minding his own business. Paul was on his way to rip Christians out of their home and imprison them and kill them for talking about the name of Jesus and propagating this, this what he thought was a lie. And Jesus knocked him off his horse and said, let me tell you about the mystery of who I am. And right there he said, Lord, who are you? He made a declaration. I don't know, but I know that you're Lord, and apparently I've got it wrong. Man, if we can get a hold of Revelation, if we can get a hold of the mystery of Christ, and ultimately if we can understand the grace of teaching through generations, which is what he's talking about in verse chapter 5, he said, which in other generations was not, not made known to the sons of men, but it's been made known now. What are you going to do with it? I love Paul's heart. Paul never kept his mouth shut. He prayed and asked other people to pray for boldness and confidence over him. Why? Because he knew that which he's been steward, given stewardship over is absolutely necessary for the glorification of God and the multiplication of the church. And he considered all things generationally. I, my favorite verse, well, my favorite verse is John 3.30, but my personal email has this verse in it. 1 Timothy 2, verse 2. You know why I like this verse? Well, let, me, let me read this verse to you. You, therefore, my son, Paul's talking to Timothy, his son, this kid that he raised up. He said, you, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
I need you to understand how important grace is. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. And yet you want to carry it around and walk in it and be weird about it. Just chill, bro. God gave it to you. You don't think he could take care of you in it? He didn't say all that. He said, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's four generations that Paul's talking about there. Paul didn't get a revelation from God. He didn't understand the mystery of Christ. He wasn't giving proper do- he wasn't given proper doctrine proper doctrine to sit on his hands. He took it. He taught Timothy. And he told him, but I want you to move beyond you. I want you to teach faithful men. And then I want you to teach men that are te- capable of telling other men. So he says, I taught you. You teach somebody else. He teaches somebody else. He teaches somebody else. That's fruit. I can't imagine Paul in heaven, man. It must be like one of those, what do you call the things at the casino? Slime machine. Like his, his bell ought to be ringing all the time. You know, somebody gets saved under his teaching. Somebody proclaims something Paul wrote. The Holy Spirit moves on them. It's just all ding, 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 ding. And everybody, man, Paul talked about Paul, heard about Paul, heard about the revelation that Paul got. Why? Because Paul was willing to do what we aren't willing to do, which is steward grace well. I told you guys, or I told the church when we first started something, and and then I got home. I thought, man, was that arrogant? And then I thought, no, that's not arrogant. It's, it's a goal. I don't know if I'll ever get there. I'm pretty certain I won't, but I'm going to try. I said, I want to out-evangelize Paul. What's your vision for your life? I want to out-evangelize Paul. I want to get to heaven and find dudes I've never met that have traced their spiritual lineage back to my willingness to be convictional to tell somebody that they knew or their great-great-grandfather the truth, and their great-great-grandfather gave their life to the Lord. That's what I want. That's the stewardship of grace. Amen? And that's what you should want, too. You know why I talk so loud? You know why I talk so fast? You know why I use my hands? Because I need y'all to pay attention. I need you to hear what I'm saying. Let my passion be your passion. It should be your passion because you said you love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you got to love people. All right, man, I done talked myself all out of breath. The question is, how do I stewardship Grace well. Glad you asked. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 says this. This is going to be hard. But it's not unnecessary. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. All this stuff you're holding on to, all these things that you have, you, you believe you have a right to. I have a right to be offended. I have, a walk to, I have a right to be angry. I have a right to walk in malice. I have a right to walk in discontent. I have a right to do this. Let me tell you, when God says, pick up your cross and follow me, your cross included tearing that off of you, you don't have a right to that anymore. He said, but instead, be kind to one another. You want to steward grace well? Put your rights away. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Oh, 
Pastor, you're killing me, man. You don't know what he did to me. I don't, but I know what Jesus did for you. And it's worth putting it away. No, if they don't deserve it, Jesus didn't deserve what he took for you either. But he took it. Hmm. We have to steward grace. But not just steward grace. In verses 6 through 10, we have to steward the gospel. It's not enough to know that God's willing to give you favor and talk about it. We have to steward the gospel. The mystery of Christ. Paul's primary specific in verse 6. To be specific, he starts talking about the gospel all the way through 10. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Like I said in the intro, he's, he's looping back around to say, listen, you're not this dude anymore. You're not this verse 11 or verse 12 anymore. You don't, I want you to remember those things, but you're not those things anymore. Hmm. Ooh, where was I? All right. So, fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of his power to me the very least of all saints this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration the mystery for ages which is hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Church, it's time to start talking about Jesus. Not just about the blessings that God gives through favor, but it's time to start talking about the gospel. It's time for us to be specific, as Paul was specific. We're not alienated anymore. Praise God, we're not alienated anymore. We are family. I don't care if you look like me. I don't care if you act like me or dress like me or smell like me or come from the same side of town as me, make the same money as me. I don't care what color you are. We are the same family. And because we are the same family, we are the same family because of Christ Jesus. We have to make Christ Jesus known. Y'all know I'm serious when I start going, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Amen. I just... We need to steward the gospel. Why? Because in all my ramblings, I don't have the power to save you. You know, before I did this, most of you know, I was a police trainer for 10 years. And man, I tell you, I could work a crowd. I was good at working a crowd. I could motivate a room full of patrol officers, man, or SWAT guys. I could get them to climb a hill and charge it, guns blazing. Because it's just, that's, that's the blessing of the gift that God gave me. What I didn't know is that in my unsaved life doing that, he was equipping me to do this. But I'm not here to motivate you. I'm not here to persuade you with who I am or my ability to articulate well. I'm here to tell you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I can't persuade you into heaven. There's no hill you can charge except for the one that has the cross of Calvary on it. According to Romans 1.16, 
we need to put the gospel in my mouth, our mouth, because we can't do it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. But that doesn't mean that we're ashamed of it. We have to be unashamed of it. For it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes. I think that's so beautiful. To the Jew and also to the Greek. But we have to steward it well. Because it's the power of God. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. Not you. You know, man, I feel good about me. Pastor Jim, I, I teach a Sunday school class or a connect group. or, You know, I don't care about that. I mean, I love you for it. But if you're not declaring the gospel, be quiet. Because you're not doing anything of eternal value. If you've just collected people around you to talk, then talk about something else. But don't call yourself a church group. Talk about Jesus. Mm. But we can't steward it well if we don't know what it is. And I've given you three verses since we've started. I need you to be able to steward the gospel well so you can communicate it well. And there's all kinds of, there's the Romans road, man. You have to memorize like 10 verses. You have to get it all. Let me, I'm going to give you three verses. And I've given you these three verses. And if you don't know them already, write them down. Because with these verses, you could tell anybody about Jesus. But the gospel has to start where the gospel needs to start. And that's that you weren't worthy. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We deserve, because we were useless, to be separated from him. We deserve to be alienated from him. But he didn't give us that. He didn't want us to stay in that place. And so he gave us Jesus. According to John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And because of Jesus, we were redeemed. We were bought back. We were removed from the wrath of God. He substituted himself and placed himself in the position of death that we deserve. He justified us. He wiped our slate clean. He made us righteous. He continues to make us righteous by the working and the manifestation of his spirit in our life. If we will just submit and be obedient. So we had a problem. God sent Jesus as the answer for that problem. But you know what? There's a there's a hundred solutions to problems out there. But if I don't know what they are, they're not doing me any good. How do I solve this problem? How do I obtain this solution? Romans 10 9. If you confess out of your mouth Christ as Lord. Not saying, I'm going to make him Lord. He's already Lord. Just admitting that he is Lord. And submitting yourself to his lordship and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall, you shall be saved. What does that mean? Believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. That means that you believe not only is he Lord, but that he performed every work necessary even to the point of death and destroyed death so that you might have the hope of an eternity. If you believe that, and I just say it, if you truly believe that that miracle happened, you shall be saved. So there it is. Three verses. If you're going to steward the gospel, you've got to know the gospel.
you were but God. And this is how you get a hold of that promise. Amen. I think I could have a conversation with anybody about that over a cup of coffee. I could have a one-minute conversation about that in an elevator or an hour-and-a-half conversation over dinner or a 30-minute conversation over coffee. How much time you got? But we have to open our mouth and steward it so that what we have might be multiplied or made fruitful in the lives of people who don't know. Amen? Finally, we have to steward the eternal purpose. Paul finishes by saying it's by the gospel that we see and bring others to their eternal glory. Unless we're willing to do what Paul did, we're never going to be able to be as fruitful and not only walk in our own hope of future glory, but cause other people to walk in that glory too. What did Paul do? Paul was willing to suffer. He says, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness, confident access through faith in him. So he was bold, he was confident. Don't lose heart at my tribulation, which means he suffered. Are you willing to suffer for the case of Christ, for the cause of Christ, for the purpose of glorifying him, for the purpose of making him known, for the purpose of multiplying yourself, not just in this generation, but in the next generation? Because if you follow Paul's lineage from one generation to the next generation to the next generation throughout the history of the church, here we sit. August 2022, talking about the writings in Ephesians because Paul was willing to suffer, because Paul was bold, because Paul was confident. We need to steward our eternal purpose the same way Paul stewarded his eternal purpose. Amen? That's what we've been called to do. We sang a song. I didn't know he was going to sing it. I know we're right on time, but we're going to be a few minutes late, not a lot. We sang a song. I didn't know he was going to sing it. I'm going to ask that we sing it again. Would you rather have Jesus? This is why I asked that question, because I know that you weren't asking a question. You were making a proclamation. You were saying, I would rather have Jesus. You know why you'd rather have Jesus? Because you know Jesus. But you know there's people out here that don't know Jesus, and they'd rather have their fill. But they don't have the hope and the love and the security that we have. We, but they would if someone would just tell them. How awesome would it be if sometime this year this week, this month, somebody that you told and stewarded grace, the gospel, and your eternal purpose was sitting next to you today. What's funny is all of us have somebody's face pictured in your head right now. Man, I wish so-and-so was sitting next to me. You may have tried to be bold. You may have tried to be confident in speaking to them. And it didn't work. Can I tell you, loved ones are the hardest ones to get to. 
But you know what? I can boldly pray. I can confidently pray. I can confidently steward my purpose because maybe one of you might be able to tell my daughter that God loves her. So I'm going to ask you to sing this song with me to close. And then I'm going to ask Pastor Rick to come up and pray. Let's close at the end. Would you rather have Jesus? And if because your answer is yes, steward Jesus. Amen.